following presentation is part of a six-week class titled Introduction to Mindfulness. The class is offered at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. I know some of you, but a lot of you are relatively new to the center, so welcome. My name is Mark Nunberg, and I'm the guiding teacher here at Common Ground. And uh, we've been here now for 20 years, not in this building, uh, just four years in this building. And we're what's called a Vipassana or Insight Meditation Center. It's the kind of Buddhism that's practiced in places like Sri Lanka and Thailand and Burma, Laos and Cambodia to some degree. And in the States, sometimes it's called Theravada Buddhism, sometimes called Vipassana, which means insight or just insight meditation just so you know. So it's different than other meditation centers you might have heard of or visited, uh, Zen meditation centers or Tibetan Buddhist meditation centers. But the practice, regardless of where you learn Buddhist meditation practice, the practice really comes down to this uh, capacity we have not to claim to experience, to be fully present, awake, alive, engaged, but the mind not attached, not clinging to the experiences that are coming and going. This is the real art of living in a wise and happy way. So let's start with a little practice, just so you get a sense. Not too long, and you don't need to worry how you're sitting. Just sit in a comfortable way. Just some sense of being right in the middle of your experience with your posture. And you can close your eyes if you'd like or keep them open. And simply noticing what the mind is aware of. And is it possible to leave that object that's being known, is it possible to leave it alone? So, for example, if you're feeling your body sitting... Can you just leave the experience of your body sitting alone? So you're knowing it, aware of it, but not engaged in resisting or trying to fix or trying to make it different than what it is now. Aware of the body and leaving leaving it alone. And we'll do a simple body scan. Let's notice any sensations now at the top of the head, as if for the very first time we're feeling the sensations at the top of the head. And we're not expecting any particular kind of sensations, just aware of how it is now, perhaps feeling the weight of the hair, or quality of vibration, tingling. Feel the back of the head, just as it is. And feeling the right side and the right ear. Clear awareness of the left side. Aware of the brow and the forehead. 
Can you be interested in the sensations as they actually are now? For example, if there's tension in the forehead or pressure, is it possible to open and receive the sensations just as they are? Noticing the eyes, both eyes. If the eyes are closed, feel the eyelids against the eyes. Noticing any movement in the eyes. And then simply feeling the air touching the skin of the face. Noticing any of that movement as the air touches. Noticing whether it's cool or warm. And the movement of air in and out of the nostrils. So we're feeling that simple touching as the air goes in and the air goes out. Feel the jaw, aware of the mouth, the teeth, the gums, the lips and tongue. For another few seconds, feeling both the face and the head together. Is it possible to actually be interested in the sensations and at the same time leaving them alone? And then completely opening out of the throat and all the different sensations through the neck, sides of the neck, back of the neck, base of the throat. So there's this very simple truth. The neck is like this now. This is how it is. And then feeling both shoulders, tops of the shoulders and shoulder joints. Not afraid of opening to any tension if there's tension in the shoulders. Feeling both arms, the weight of the arms, the Clothes touching the skin of the arms. Feel the bend in the elbows. Feel the back of the hands, the air touching the back of the hands perhaps. Noticing all the touch points where the arm or hand is making contact. Feeling each finger, the pinkies, index fingers, ring fingers, middle fingers, thumbs. Taking some time and feeling now the front side of the torso. So from the base of the throat, 
feeling the front of the chest and the solar plexus, the abdomen, all the way down to the groin, the pubic bone. We're not thinking about the torso, we're actually feeling the sensations here and now. And when you're ready, do the same with the back side of the torso. So the starting at the back of the neck and the back of the shoulder blades, <clears throat> the spine, back of the ribs, the kidneys. And feeling the lower back and the back of the hips and the buttocks all the way down through the sacrum, the tailbone. Feeling both the front and back sides of the torso and everything in between. For example, if you've just eaten, you might feel pressure in the abdomen or movement. Feeling the movement in the ribcage, the expanding and contracting of the lungs, the movement of the diaphragm. We're learning how to be intimate, in this case with the torso, and how to leave, leave things alone, just let it be. And then we let the attention settle into the pelvis. In a sense, the awareness is soaking in or resting here, knowing the sensations of the pelvis, the structure of the hips, Feel the sits bones, the floor of the pelvis. And feeling both legs just as they are. Obvious touch points, the places of pressure and contact. And the ordinary sensations, the pants touching the skin, for example. Socks against the calves and shins. Temperature of the feet, are they cool or warm? Toes, heels. Taking another couple minutes, we feel the whole body together. Of course, this life inhabits this body in a profound way. So now we practice showing up to the experience of being embodied. What does it mean in this moment to be embodied, to inhabit this body? Knowing the experience that sitting is like this now. The heart, the mind is inclusive, willing to include all the different sensations, the pleasant and the unpleasant, 
the obvious and the subtle. And at the very heart of mindfulness practice is this capacity, this inherent capacity be fully present, the mind alert and relaxed at the same time. So for the last few seconds, notice that capacity for the mind to be alert and relaxed as it's aware of the body sitting. Clearly aware that sitting is like this and not needing the experience to be different than it is. The last thing is to notice, is it possible now to stop being mindful? Notice that mindfulness, in a sense, happens on its own. It's part of the nature of the mind to be aware, to know. Open your eyes if you want, and adjust your body if you need to, so you feel comfortable. So it's just a 15-minute body scan meditation. It's something you can do at home in your practice as you're taking the class. You comfortable back there? There's some cushions up front if you want. You guys okay? nice to begin with a little practice because, of course, I'll talk a lot and other people will share during the course of the class, but whatever I say or anybody else says, the words are a little different than the actual experience, and that's really what the course is about. All the words, the different models, the examples, they're meant to inspire the actual experience of mindfulness. We as human beings, we have this capacity to be distracted, disconnected, caught up in our dramas, or we have this capacity with some training, you know, to strengthen this capacity to be fully present. And by definition, really, mindfulness is useful in all things. I mean, we could reflect, when would it be inappropriate to be mindful, to be present, with the body-mind relaxed, but also the body-mind clear, clearly aware. And that's really a, just a useful definition for the time being of mindfulness. It's a balance of mind. We're really talking about the cultivation or the reestablishing of a balance of mind 
So there's the mind is bright, it's alert, it's fully present, not forgetful. But at the same time, it's not tight just because it's alert. We tend to know both extremes. We know what it's like to be really relaxed. You know, you have a few beer, beers or you, you know, end of the day sitting on the couch, nothing to do. The mind gets very mushy, body gets soft and mushy. And that's normally what we think of as tranquility or relaxation, like the moments before we fall asleep. And then when we think of alert, you know, we think of times when we've been in danger or worried about losing our job or, you know, avoiding a car accident. You know, we think, oh yeah, I was really alert. I saw everything in slow motion. But there's so much fear in the mind, too. You know, we weren't relaxed. We might have been alert, but there was this fear of death or fear of losing something or hoping to gain something. So how can we bring, uh, cultivate this balance where both are happening at the same time? There's a real sense of release and ease through the body and mind, but at the same time the mind is really alert interested, not missing anything in terms of what's coming and going. That's really what we train in. And you can imagine, well, that would be really useful, you know, in everything. Talking to your partner, washing the dishes, doing your job, just being a human being, it really helps to be fully alert and relaxed. And given that we're rarely in that balanced place, and looking at, you know, how often our life doesn't really work for us, well, it makes sense, because when we're, you know, the opposite would be, you know, being agitated instead of tranquil, and being disconnected or distracted instead of alert and clearly aware. And you can just imagine, well, nobody would cultivate being dull, or being, you know, agitated, rather, and disconnected as a strategy for being a skillful human being. It just wouldn't work. And we have proof that doesn't work. All those moments in our life when we were agitated and disconnected and made a lot of mistakes that had real consequences. You know, it took a long time to make amends or to go beyond. So in the class, in this six-week class, I'll do mostly talk about this practice and different ways to talk, uh, to open to the present moment. And we'll start tonight with something relatively simple like the breath and the body, and then start talking about mind states, how to be mindful, open, aware, clearly aware and relaxed with mind states or mental qualities, emotions, different psychological patterns, and how to even be aware of the underlying views that operate in the mind, like for example, one view that's just there that we never even really see because it's so commonplace in our minds is a sense of separation. Like, this is me, and you guys are out there. That's a view that we get, you know, just growing up in culture, we get enculturated with that view of being separate, apart from the whole. And then it just operates unchecked, not noticed through our whole life. And we can start to be mindful of the different views. Like, you could be operating through your life a lot of the time with the view that you're better than most people, or that you're worse than most people. Or even the view, I'm the same as everybody else. That's a view too. 
And these views just are there. They're this kind of part of the operation of our psychology. But when the mindfulness gets balanced, we can even be aware, mindful, of the different views as they come and go in the mind. Maria, there's space up front. You don't don't need to sit on the floor. Unless you really like to. So, basically, you know, the our training generally, like over the next 20 years or 20 lifetimes, same with the next six weeks, we're going to go from learning how to be mindful with things that are relatively concrete and easy to know to learning how to be mindful with things that are more subtle. And in this practice, you know, in terms of awakening and, and having insight into the nature of the mind, generally speaking, subtle is significant. I mean, it's one thing to be mindful of walking, you know, just the physicality of walking when we're walking from our car to the office. But it's another thing to be aware of one's view that's arising in the mind. The different shades, like different prejudices that arise that we're mostly unaware of because it's subtle. But we can see it all. I'm afraid of this person because they're different. And we just see that. And it's so useful to see those things. So many of these subtle colorings of our mind, we never see. So, initially, we work with really concrete objects so that we get a sense of what mindfulness is. And most importantly, we get a sense of how to sustain that. Like mindfulness, like having one moment of being aware, clearly aware and relaxed is great, but it's not going to be life-changing. But if we can sustain that mindful awareness for seconds and minutes, very profound, even a couple minutes of being relatively mindful really helps us to see what we haven't been seeing before about the mind, about our life, about just the nature of experience. It's really amazing that we have this life, undeniably, and yet... We haven't actually been there for it. We've been so much, most of the time, so much in our thoughts about things that we're really not or rarely aware of life experience just as it is. We live, in a sense, through our interpretations of what's happening. It's not that we're completely disconnected, like I'm actually not seeing anything or hearing anything or feeling anything in terms of tactile experience. But we trust our thoughts about things much more. Generally speaking, we trust our thoughts about things much more than the experience itself. So we're going to change that slowly, that habit of this dependency we generally have, or addiction, you could say, addicted to thought, addicted to the meaning that thoughts give things. Like, you might be here in the class right now thinking, you know, this is the best thing. I can't believe it took me so long to find a place like Common Ground Meditation Center. But you could be, like, really feeling like you're here, but actually what you're doing is you're paying attention to that thought. But you're not aware that it's a thought. You think you're at Common Ground Meditation Center, but you're actually aware of the thought. Feel free to come up front and sit on one of the cushions if you want. So this is a 
this is an obstacle for all of us, and we need to have a lot of patience and a, and a really good sense of humor about our relationship to thoughts. Because hating our thoughts, wanting to get rid of thoughts, is just more thinking. We have to bring a lot of wisdom to how we relate to thoughts. A lot of patience. And the easy way, which is not easy at all, but it's still the easy way to learn how to manage a mind that thinks, is to learn how to give our attention to one thing, like just to be with the body sitting and the sensations of the body sitting. So fully that for a time the mind loses its dependency on thoughts. Because if it starts to think about that it's paying attention to sitting, it's not paying attention to sitting anymore, it's thinking about it. Or if you're using your breath, you know, and you're just aware of that simple experience of touching as the air goes in through the nostrils and touching as the air goes out through the nostrils. If we could just get interested in the physicality, that simple touching, touching, touching as the air goes in, touching, 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 touching as the air goes out. If we're 100% with that experience, then we're not interpreting, we're not describing to ourselves what's happening, we're not imagining the breath going in and out, we're not wondering if the person next to us is doing a better job, or if we're doing better than them, or whether we're on the verge of enlightenment, or anything like that. Because if that were happening, we wouldn't be with the breath. So if we're actually with the breath, that touching, 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 that means we're not doing anything else. I mean, it's a, in a way, it's a myth, this whole idea of multitasking. I mean, the mind really does one thing at a time. It feels like we're multitasking, but actually, and this is why it's so agitating for the mind, the mind is jumping back and forth. It's planning what it's going to do tomorrow, and it's tasting its food that it's eating, and it's listening to the whatever's on the radio, and looking at what's at the magazine, you know. And it feels like we're doing all those things at the same time. But the mind is just jumping around, never really getting here before it's already moving somewhere else. And so the magazine reading isn't satisfying, the eating isn't satisfying, the hearing the news isn't satisfying, the thinking about tomorrow isn't satisfying, because the mind isn't actually there for any experience. It's already, it lands and it's gone before it really connects and sustains. So initially in practice, one of the things we emphasize, we like training, like developing new muscles, is how, working with the attention, how to connect and sustain attention. How to take this capacity we all have to be awake, to know, right? Everybody is knowing right now, but can we reflectively know that we're knowing and sustain that knowing that there's knowing happening? So like with the breath, the mind is knowing the breath, and it's knowing that it's knowing the breath. It's not like an automatic pilot. Like You can drive home, and in a sense, you're conscious driving home. But then you're at home, and you can't remember having driven home. You know, you remember that interesting story on the news, or you remember thinking about something. But you don't remember taking that right. You don't remember merging into the freeway. And you go... Well, did that really happen? Because we're not really there. We, we were conscious in a sense, but we weren't aware that we were aware. 
And so mindfulness is this reflective knowing. The mind is knowing what's being known. So when we're breathing in and breathing out, or when we're feeling the body sitting, or some people work with hearing as one of the anchors for their meditation practice, and generally as I talk, I'll just mention these three. There are others. You can just use the experience, the actual sensations of sitting. What's predominant? in the field of the body with sensations. Or you can use the specific sensations of the breath at the nostrils or the feeling of the abdominal wall expanding and contracting so that actual movement of the abdominal wall as your anchor. Or a third option for you, whole body, breath in the body. The third option is hearing. So then you're just aware of hearing. You're not like picking out particular sounds to meditate on but all the sounds together as one experience. Like a, you listen to an orchestra, you hear all the instruments together. So just the receiving and the awareness that hearing is being known, or the awareness that breathing is being being known, or body sitting is being known. So it's, it's this reflective understanding that this is being known. The breath coming in is being known. And you can even, from time to time, use a phrase to strengthen this, it's like a training, so to strengthen this tendency to be reflectively aware, you can use a phrase, oh, breathing in is being known. You can actually say those words in your mind to, to sort of support the attention, recognizing that the breath is coming in, coming in, and it's being known. That's the important piece that you know that the breath coming in is being known, or the sound of Mark's voice is being known. The meaning that's arising out of the words that he's speaking is being known. You see how that really grounds us in the present moment. When we know that this is being known, then we know that this is being known here and now. We can live, like I said a few minutes ago, we can live our whole life and not be aware of the present moment. We're so caught in what's coming up and our reaction to it and our hopes and that we miss this space of the present moment. It's actually the most important and most amazing thing that we're mostly oblivious to. Like, I'll just give you a little example that perk your interest. So as you notice now, because I've been prompting all of us, as we notice now the present moment, oh, it's like a space in a way. I mean, that's just a metaphor, but it's a useful metaphor. Like the space in which all of this is happening. We call that the present moment. There's seeing happening here. There's hearing happening here. There's sensing sensations. You know, the tactile experience is happening here. There's the cognitive experience, like any thoughts that are being known. Where are they being known? Well, here, right? Where else could they be known? Here in the present moment. So there are the five physical senses of smelling, tasting, touching, hearing, and seeing. And then the cognitive sense gate. So in Buddhism, we talk about six sense gates. The five physical senses and the mind. All of these are always being known when? Where? Or here in the present moment. And now, once we get that sense, so that sounds kind of obvious, but here's the thing that tends to perk people's interest. So, here we are, in the present moment. And is there anything else but this present moment? 
It seems like there is, doesn't it? Like, well, yeah, there's earlier today. But whatever we imagine earlier today was, that only arises now as a memory, in the present moment. Earlier today doesn't exist except right now as a thought, as an image in our mind, for example. Or maybe we have a scar from something that happened earlier today. But that scar is now, or that pain in the body is now, here. The past literally doesn't exist anywhere. And then, of course, nor does the future. No matter how good we are at imagining the future, that imagining is happening here and now. There is nothing in front of us called the future. There is only now. And there is nothing behind us called the past. It just doesn't exist. And it doesn't matter if you think it exists, because that thinking, of course, is happening right now. And even as you're thinking it, that thinking is already going away. Right? How long does a thought really last? You remember yesterday, or you remember five minutes ago, when you started the class thinking, maybe I shouldn't have. (laughs) This is getting a little weird now. (laughs) But all of that still is happening right now. So we get a sense of, of maybe, you may not like the word sacredness, but there's something mind-blowing, unknowable about the present moment because it doesn't match up with our concepts, our thoughts about our life, about the way it is. And there's always going to be a profound disconnect between our concepts our interpretation, conceptual interpretation of this and this. And another sort of metaphor to use is like the difference between a menu and eating a meal. They're related in some way, but they're completely different experiences, reading about the dish and sitting down and eating the dish. And it's the same thing, thinking about the present moment, thinking about who I am in the present moment, thinking about what's happening in the present moment, is not the present moment. It's a thought that's arising in the present moment, and if there's mindfulness, we can be aware, oh, that's just a thought being known, here and now. So I I share this, even though it's a little out there maybe for some of you, to inspire a kind of respect for this work we're doing. We're cultivating a present moment awareness. And remember, present moment, that's just a word that points us to the one reality we've only had, ever had, which is here and now, this. And then the question is, can there be an awareness that this is being known? And that makes it mindfulness. When we can sustain that reflection that this is being known, this is arising and being known, this is being experienced and being known, this is happening and being known, This is pleasant and being known. This is unpleasant and being known. This is confusion being known. This is doubt being known. This is calm or tranquility being known. This is happiness being known or joy being known or sadness being known. So if we were a talented, well-practiced mindfulness practitioner, we would be able to sustain that kind of knowing through the day. No matter what ups and downs we experience, there would be that reflective knowing, this is being known now. Now it's like this, and this is being known. Now this is being known. And there wouldn't be any gaps. So that's where we're going. That's the direction we're going. 
And this is the mindfulness is the proximate cause for the development of insight or wisdom or deepening of understanding. And it's the absence of mindfulness that is the very definition of ignorance. You know, the Buddha, from his point of view, the problem of all human suffering wasn't that, you know, there's not enough food or... The problem is that people, because of habit, are misperceiving what's happening. Like, I can have an idea in my mind, like, nobody likes me. Everybody thinks I'm stupid. I can have that idea, I can get identified with that idea, and then I literally live inside of that universe. And it's obviously, that would be a painful universe to live inside of. Now think about how many different universes we created today. How many thoughts that arose in our mind that we got identified with and then inhabited the space of that idea. And we're limited by that idea, whatever that concept or that image or that idea was. Mindfulness is what allows us to understand, well, that's just a thought being known. That's just an image in the mind being seen. Just an emotion being felt. That's all it is. It's just this arising here and now in the present moment. And it really removes, starts to break down the limitations of all of our conditioned psychological habits of worrying, planning, thinking we're this, thinking we're that, judging others. All of those habits are limiting. Understanding that it's just the habit being known is liberating. So mindfulness really supports this liberation. This is the path of awakening, right, where we're using mindfulness to awaken to the way that it is to go from misperception to clear seeing and to find the liberation that comes from that or the freedom or the ease. So let's uh, stretch our legs and then we'll sit together and then we'll check in with each other about what you learned from the sitting. So you might want to stand for a few moments. Release any tension in your legs. And one of the nice things that the Buddha taught that we should practice mindfulness in all four postures. Walking, sitting, lying down, and standing. So, whenever off the hook. <laughs> and the daily sitting time, you know, if you're fortunate and you're really devoted, maybe you'll sit 45 minutes a day or twice a day, maybe 15 minutes once and a half an hour the second time. If you're rushed or you have a busy life or you have young kids, you might not be able to sit that much. It doesn't matter as long as you do some practice every day. That's the key. No matter how tired you are, if you haven't practiced, find that place in your house that you've set aside for your meditation space, that chair, that cushion, that little uncluttered corner, and get yourself there and put in some time. Because at the end of the six weeks, if you haven't actually done the practice, you won't know whether you want to make this part of your life. Six weeks is really a minimal time to get a sense of this is going to get to the top of your priority list so that you do this, just like some of you won't go to bed without brushing your teeth, that somehow got to the top of your list, or some of us are worse, you know, like we won't go to bed unless we check the news four or five times a day, or 25 times a day, depending on how neurotic we are. 
So I think we can get this to the top of the list, but we won't get to the top of the list unless we have direct experience how valuable it is. It's really functional. It's pragmatic. It's not like pie in the sky, you do this for 200 years, and then you'll get some benefit. It starts changing our life as soon as we start doing it regularly. And the formal sit, we can aspire to practice all day long, and we should, but the formal sit is how we plant the seeds to remember to be mindful during the day. So if we don't do the formal time, we're just not going to, it's not going to occur to the mind to be mindful as we're walking about or reaching or drinking or doing anything we're doing during the day. It just won't strike us, oh, this is how it is now. But if we do formal practice, it's like we're reinforcing the intention, the impulse to be mindful. And then it's just going to sprout in all kinds of corners of our lives where we just notice that we're being awake. And we're very clearly aware and relaxed and the mind knows, oh, it's like this now. This is what's happening. This is what's being known. It's just this experience being known. Just this emotion being known. And you'll find every little of those moments, you'll find how liberating it is. When we know that it's just this being known, all of a sudden in that moment we'll have choices that we wouldn't have if we were just moving through life in automatic pilot. It's mindfulness that creates choices. The choice basically to be simplistic between being skillful in that moment and being unskillful in that moment. If we're not mindful, we simply act out whatever intention has the most momentum. And a lot of our intentions, you know, the habit energies, are not so skillful. You know, they're fear-based. And if we're not mindful, we're just going to act out our fear all day long. If we're mindful, we can know, oh, there's fear, and it's like this. And then there's a choice. Well, I'm not going to act as if this fear is true, because it's just fear. It's not me. It's just fear that's being known. It's just an emotion being known. And so we have that choice to not act on the fear, but maybe care about it, have some compassion about it. Maybe mention, person, hey, I'm feeling a lot of fear. But we don't believe it. That that's me. That fear is me. It's just that feeling we're having. In a couple of weeks, I'll talk a little bit more about walking meditation. But let's sit back down. And I want to introduce the mindfulness of breathing practice a little bit more formally so you can work with it at home. Also, next week, I'll talk more about how to sit comfortably, whether you're on a chair or on a cushion. But tonight, just do the best you can, knowing what you know about your body, to feel stable in your sitting posture. Belly soft, sense of integrity in the spine without using a lot of physical tension. You might want to start with several long and easy breaths, just as a settling technique. And remember, your eyes can be Lightly closed or just gazing down toward the floor in front. Either way is okay. See how easy this deep breathing can be. Maybe one or two more of these deep breaths. And then at some point, 
allow the breathing to continue on its own. So you're not intentionally controlling the breathing now. Fortunately, the body knows how to breathe, and we can trust that. And for a minute or two, open to the experience of hearing, and I'll ring the bell. Practice receiving the sound of the bell. Let's continue for a few more seconds, mindful of hearing. Hearing is like this. Hearing is being known. Noticing how There's no particular effort needed for hearing to happen. Hearing just happens when the mind isn't distracted. And we can bring that same receptive awareness now to the body, all the different sensations in the body that are arising. The mind is open, undefended, receptive to all the sensations. And there's no need for the body, the experience of the body, to fit our idea of how it should feel. So however it does feel right now, we just trust that. Like, that's how it is. It's like this now. The body, the experience of sitting is being known. And we practice not being concerned about whether the body that's being experienced is pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. So however it is, it's okay because this is how it is now. We're practicing letting the body be the way that it is. So in a way, we're relating to the body with acceptance. Unconditional acceptance.
And for some people, this will be your meditation theme, just this ongoing awareness of the body sitting. But if you'd like to work with a more refined object, you can notice the movement of the breath in the body now. And of course, there's no need to control the breath because the body will breathe. So we can trust the body. And just notice when the breath is coming in. Noticing the breath going out. And notice where in the body it's easy to feel the movement of the breath. And is it possible to remember to keep remembering that breathing in or breathing out is like this, or breathing is being known. Not forgetting the actual sensations of the breathing process. mind is clearly aware and relaxed. (coughs) And from time to time, when it feels skillful, you can use a phrase to clarify the activity of the meditation. Breathing in is being known, or breathing out is being known. So we're keeping it very simple.
or be afraid of distraction. The important thing is to notice when the mind gets caught up in thought or caught up in any experience. To notice it. Oh, this is being known. This is how it is now. Or can this be okay? So you're making peace, not getting seduced or caught up, but making peace because it's already this way now. And then just allow the distraction to fade away, as all things do. And then when you're ready, feel the body sitting, feel the breath moving in the body. Let the attention return to your anchor. So remembering there are three possible anchors as suggestions. You can be aware of the breath coming in and out. You can be aware of the predominant sensations in sitting. Or you can use hearing as your anchor. Connecting and sustaining mindful awareness.
and whenever it feels impossible to connect with the anchor, to feel a breath coming in or to feel the body sitting, just ask what's in the way or what's being known. What is being known now? And it might be some mind state like frustration is being known or doubt or confusion is being known. But there's always something that's being known. Something can be recognized as being known here and now. And if it can be known, then it can be accepted. Oh, well, this is how it is. Can this be okay? It's already this way now. Can this be okay?
Repeat the length of again, again, and again. You can always recompose the mind and body. Take a deep breath to begin again if you need to. Remember the intention and practice is this sustaining of present moment awareness. We use a particular anchor, especially in the beginning, for example, the breath moving in the body, to help develop this clear, relaxed, balanced attention, this present moment awareness and sustaining this present moment awareness, breath coming in, breath going out. Be sitting for another five minutes.
one of the things you do at the center, you don't need to do it, but there's a gesture we call Anjali, which we call head down, and it's just a sign of gratitude for the time. So if you like that gesture, you can use it if you want. Feel free to stretch out your legs so you feel release any tension you might have in your body that you can release. We'll take a little time. One of the things that over the years have has been really valuable in these intro classes is for people to hear from other people about the practice. One of the things that seems like it's true is that our experience is so unique. But the more we hear people talk about their experience of their own mind, their own heart, their own body, the more we realize that we're in the same boat. And this is why somebody who understood their mind really deeply 2,500 years years ago, that their teaching can be so relevant to us today. Because although the outer circumstances of our lives probably have changed quite a bit, the actual mechanics of the heart and mind and body is very much the same. So, it would be nice to hear if you have any questions about the sit, about the instructions, or just would like to share a little bit about what happened during the sit tonight. And also feel free to pull or draw from your previous experiences with meditation. Some of you I know have been practicing for a while. So, yeah, say your name, too. Uh, my name is Michael Wilson, and I went, I'm a veteran, and I went through a workshop at VA. One of the things that we did is we could pick what is called selection. And what I did is uh, I took Clara, and you listen to all the instruments separately, and then they build together, and it well, basically, what you've just described is how we'd like, it's the kind of interest and kind of presence we'd like everywhere in our life, brushing our teeth. But in meditation practice, when you do the formal practice, I'd recommend that you not use music, although other times during the day you can do that. Exactly. Because we don't want to create a dependency so the mind needs the music in order to be mindful. But generally speaking, one of the principles is it's easier to be mindful when the, ple- when the experience is pleasant. So a lot of times, you know, uh, retreat centers are built in really nice places. And, you know, we tried here. This is a greasy 50s diner when we bought it. But we try to make it a pleasant place uh, so that when people come, they feel relaxed, they feel they're in a pleasant place, and the mind naturally starts to settle. You know, the proverbial grove of cedar trees with a little spring or a little creek going by and sitting on the crushed needles or whatever. You know, those kind of places, we just naturally feel tranquil. The mind is naturally... So when you find a place to practice at home, keep that in mind. Like what corner of your apartment or house, what conditions, what time of day is most suitable? Because you want to make it, the formal sitting time, you want to be supportive. That's the whole point. Otherwise, we would go to the Mall of America and sit in the middle of a crowd and practice. 
but we want to practice where it's easy because we want to go to kindergarten where we can learn what we can learn when the conditions are easy. And then when the conditions aren't so easy, like we are in the middle of a discussion or an argument or in traffic, we'll be, have a chance to do some practice there. But it's good to start where it's easy, including pleasant things like listening to music or walking in the woods. Yeah, Michael. Well, I, I also find it very pleasant just to go to the speed limit. I yeah. go to the speed limit, and everybody's going around towards my house. You know, I get the finger, angry looks, and about two years ago, I was out in the prairie, and a big pickup come behind me, right behind the car, and chased me all the way around the metropolitan area. So you have to be careful, but I don't know why you're in such a big hurry. Well, I just hope that you don't find it pleasant because you like no, irritating I, I, other people. No, I, I don't want that. No, I'm just teasing you. No, I, I, I was afraid I was Well, that's actually one of the definitions of a restless, agitated person is they don't like calm people. So if you notice when you don't like people who are calm, then that's a that's like a little. Alarm clock going on. Oh, maybe, maybe I'm not doing so well right now. Thanks for sharing that. Other thoughts that come to mind about your sit tonight or questions about what I've said thus far? Yeah, in the back, Gary. Uh, I found that uh, meditating here when it's skillful. Right. There's nothing inherently bad about thought. Bad thought are thoughts that lead to more thoughts. Good thoughts are thoughts that lead to less thoughts or less neurotic thinking. So there's a lot of thoughts that help simplify our experience like the ones you suggested. If you didn't hear Gary, he was saying something like breathing in, I know I'm breathing in. Breathing out, I know I'm breathing out. This is a... Uh, Phrases that Thich Nhat Hanh recommends. He's a well-known Vietnamese Buddhist monk and uh, very famous Buddhist teacher here in the West now. And uh, but the other phrases Gary mentioned, like uh, when we're planning, just oh, planning is being known. And use those phrases, but don't use them neurotically. Because sometimes we'll use phrases as a way to beat down some habit of mind. Like if we are planning. We keep saying, you know, planning is being known, planning is being known, <laughs> as a way to suppress it. And so obviously that's just going to be more agitating than it's helpful. But just strategically using a thought that illuminates what's going on can be quite useful. We definitely want that uh, technique in our back pocket to pull out whenever it's useful, to be able to name or label what's going on. And whether you use it a lot or not so much, depends a lot about your personality more than whether it's a good technique. Some personalities really can use the mental noting regularly and it really helps. And others, it's just better, it's just it's not as helpful. They still use it some of the time, but just not as regularly. And so that's called mental noting or mental labeling. And we'll talk more about that in week four, too. But feel free to just start experimenting with it.
What else comes to mind? Yeah, say your name. quite a bit in your comments. One thing, just to, I think it's good to mention right up front for people who haven't practiced before, is sometimes it can be shocking how uncomfortable the body is. One of the things about always being busy and always going from one thing to the next is we don't actually know what it's like to be inhabiting the body. So when we actually sit down for a little time and are aware or open to how it is, it can be quite shocking how unpleasant the body, how much residual tension, how bound up it is, how restless it is. So we want that to break our heart a little bit so that compassion begins to flow. Like, oh, I really care about this. And I never once said, don't move your body, right, in the instructions. Did you ever hear me say, don't move your body? So... Uh, it's, pain is a very important experience to be mindful of. But when you can't be mindful, when there's a lot of painful sensations, and the mind is either exhausted or it's lost its composure, then that may be the time to make a quiet adjustment. Especially if you're with a group of people, you want your adjustment to be as quiet as possible so it's not going to be disturbing those people around you. And also, the, the thing we discover, like when we are sitting alone, that we can be adjusting every few minutes, every few seconds. And like you suggested, Bert, it only lasts for the, the relief or the, the relative pleasant experience only lasts for a few seconds. And then we have to do it again, and then we have to do it again. So one of the things we begin to discover is sometimes it's better not to move and just to take what comes. Even if it seems like it's going to drive us crazy, generally it doesn't drive us crazy. And we get to know the difference between pain in the body that's actually harmful and pain in the body that may be just as painful, but we know it's not leading into into any actual um, destructive tendency or destruction of the body or uh, uh, permanent harm to the body. So it's just pain. And this is very important to practice with because there will be times in our life either emotional pain or physical pain will arise and there won't be anything we can do about it. And if we haven't practiced, then we're really going to lose our composure, which will only amplify the suffering. You know, there's nothing worse than getting cancer. And then, but what we can do when something terrible like that happens is we can hate ourselves or we can hate life, which is... Already cancer is hard enough, but then to, for the mind to be absorbed and caught up in hating life, that's just another thing. It's the same thing. We could have chronic pain that we've tried everything there is to try. Nothing seems to be working. It's bad enough to have chronic pain, but to be hating it at the same time 
makes it so much worse. And we can be training the mind how not to resist things that can't be other than the way that they are. And that's why uh, we do value stillness of the posture as long as we can practice skillfully with the pain that's arising. But when we can't practice skillfully with the pain that's arising, meaning we can't bring any mindfulness to it, we can't bring, we can't establish that balanced mind with the pain anymore. Maybe we did it for three or four minutes, but now we can't. Then we quietly make an adjustment, and we're mindful during the adjustment. Little things like scratches or itches are really good because you know they're not dangerous, that you're not going to be, like if you got a little tickle somewhere, that it's not going to do any permanent harm. And yet, the compulsion to move can be as big as the universe. So it's like you can really resolve not to move because you know you're safe. And it's just like, see it as an experiment in truth. Like, maybe this very strong... Uh, vivid compulsion to move or I'm going to die maybe that's just that being known maybe it's not self meaning maybe it's not me screaming I've got to move or else maybe that's just a habit in the mind expressing itself as words and image and sensation and emotion and we could just see that without acting on it in the same way that we could feel a lot of rage for our partner that we love deeply, you know, and we don't act out that rage, hopefully, much of the time, right? And yet it feels so believable right in some moments, doesn't it? But we know better. And it's the same thing with these things that little, like I just scratched my nose, these little tickles, these little itches, restlessness, achiness, that we know isn't doing any permanent harm. We just sit right in the middle of it. And we practice being completely undefended with it. Same thing with yucky emotional feelings. Feeling a little dull or a little depressed or a little anxious or a little worried. Just to sit in the middle of it can be great. Or you have a really interesting thought that you know you should write down because you're going to forget it. And it's the most important thing. I've been wanting to figure this problem out for such a long Now I got it. And there you are in the middle of the sit with no notepad to be seen. And you want to get up. But can you let that go? Like, can you be the person who is willing to let that go? I mean, either you will or you won't remember this after the sin. Can that be okay? So we learn so much about loss, about being undefended, about being exposed to what we don't want to be exposed to, and just ordinary sitting practice, putting our 30 minutes or 45 minutes in every day. I tell you, it's the best education anybody can have. Thanks, Bert, for bringing that up. Other thoughts that come to mind? Yeah, say your name. My name's Anna. Um, it's a kind of the exact opposite experience for me. This is the second time that I've been here both times. Um, I've had kind of like a It's a really good question. 
from my understanding, those kind of movements come for two reasons. So Anna's talking about, she called it a bobbing movement. And you, if you want, when you're, especially when you're in a big group like this, you know, you sit in a corner and then just watch the crowd for a few minutes. It's, no, it's very educational. I mean, don't do it neurotically. Because <laughs> you see everything under the sun. I mean, some people are really still and they look so serene and so released in their body and mind as they're sitting. And some people are perfectly still and they look really tight. <laughs> and some people aren't still and they look like they're sort of neurotically moving around. And some people aren't still, but their body's moving. But it's not, it doesn't look like they're intentionally moving. And that really kind of goes to the point you made, Anna, that you need to get interested in the movement and see what the intention is in the mind. If the mind likes that movement, finds it pleasant, then probably it's going to be intending to do it. In which case, you should be mindful of that intention and let it go. You know, like just be aware of the intention without acting acting on it. And it's not that it's not pleasant. But you don't, it's a little bit like Michael's comment with the music, you don't want to create dependencies for the mind. You want the mind to be independent of any particular sense experience. Like it can find its balance, it can rediscover happiness and clarity without having to move the body, sway the body, without having to listen to music, without having to be in a nice environment even. Other times that kind of movement can happen as the more subtle layers of tension and holding begin to release. And there can be all kinds of, some of the sometimes even weird movements of the body shaking, sudden movements, jerks. Um, those there's nothing we can do about because they just happen. They're not really coming from an inten- intention as much as it's just an unwinding. And sometimes it's really hard to know the difference because those sudden releases are also pleasant. You know, something that was held is not so held is not held as much. And then the mind, even in very subtle ways, like likes it. Like, what else can I release? And it almost like tries to prompt that releasing. You know, so it's it's a tricky business. Generally, we're really interested in intention in the mind. What's the mind intending? What is the mind wanting? What is it looking for? Well, the thing that I'm wondering is, like, is how, what's, where's the line between controlling what your body's doing and allowing something to work? Yeah. You know, allowing openness. Yeah, you don't need to control. You just need to get really interested in the intention. And it's not like a, it's not about suppressing the intention, but if you see the intention to move, you also see whether there's a need to move. It's the it's the it's a little bit like babies that kind of hum to themselves to help soothe them. You know, we like movement is soothing, but we don't need that because otherwise it's like. We could imagine a meditation scene where you've got three people massaging your body, another person fanning, person putting grapes in your mouth. Where does that end? You know. So it may seem like an innocent thing to do to be do to, to sort of be moving the body, and to just you know we all do this a little. So I'm very familiar with this. You know, we all all people who've been practicing for a while. It's like you could spend lifetimes doing your sitting meditation, but actually what you're doing is you're subtly making yourself comfortable. We never get to the end of that. We never get 
comfortable, and now we're forever comfortable. So if we're, if the intention is to make ourselves comfortable, we're reinforcing that habit to make ourselves comfortable. And this practice is learning to be at ease with the conditions as they are, instead of seeking conditions that are more pleasant than the current ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Say again. I'm Sam. Sam. And uh, what you just said was uh, seeking the conditions and whatnot. Um, you know, when I first got here, it was, uh, it was kind of cold. And I was like, oh, you're pretty fluctuated. And then, you know, I got, I sat down and I realized, oh, my back kind of hurts. So I figured, okay, let's just go out, hey, out. And I sit on. And then, uh, like, after a while, you know, I figured, oh, I'll just go grab the company. And then I realized, you know, then I just didn't realize, you know, I mean, my back flared up a few times, but I didn't really, like right now, I don't realize the cold. Yeah. I feel fine with it. And uh, I just kind of realized that. Yeah, no, great point, Sam. I realize it's 9 o'clock, so we're going to have to end here, but what Sam said, if you didn't hear him, is that he mentioned a couple of things. One is cold. And initially, you could feel like, well, i got to go get my sweatshirt, or i got to go get a blanket, which we have in the closet. But do we really? Maybe it's possible for the mind to be at ease with the experience of being cold, or the other thing Sam mentioned is pain in the back. And this is why we don't immediately move or make adjustments, is because we don't want to assume we can't be balanced and happy with the conditions as they are. So I just want to finish by saying I sent an email out to everybody who I have an email for about 4 o'clock or so, 5 o'clock, I forget when, with three handouts. Now, some of you probably didn't get that email, and it may be because your spam blocker blocked me, so you can check that. But once you check that and you didn't get the email, then send me an email, and I'll get you on the email list, because I'll be sending out handouts every week. My email is easy to remember. It's Mark, with a K, at... Common Ground Meditation, you don't have to put center, commongroundmeditation.org. So send me an email if you didn't get an email. I'll get you on our email list, send you those handouts. And the last thing I want to say is, you may think this is the best practice in the world, but come next Tuesday, you'll have lots of reasons why you're not going to come back. I recommend you come back for six weeks. Give it six weeks, then decide if you want to do the practice. Yeah, you can, but wrap it so it's not jarring. Okay. Yeah, and yeah, it's better than looking at the clock to have a timer. Yeah, yeah, we'll mention that next week. Thanks, everyone. See you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org/slash/donate.